Hello everyone once again and welcome to A Reason for Hope. We are live with you for the next hour to receive and answer your questions on God's Word, the Bible. That's right, that's what we're about at A Reason for Hope. You can send in your questions on the Bible to multiple online platforms that we have and I will be fielding those questions as they come on in and we'll dig into the Word to find the answers. So if there's a verse or passage of Scripture you have questions on, maybe something even you're going through in your own life you would like a biblical perspective or something going on in the world or other uh, belief systems really any honest question um, as long as you know we're going to delve into the bible to find the answers to those questions that's what we're all about here at a reason for hope my name is dave robson i'm your host today and like i say i'll be jumping on all those platforms and fielding your questions as they come on in with us today we have pastor sean richards how are you doing today how's those allergies treating you oh they're coming and going as they please yes I'm just trying to Stay my usual self, upsetting unreasonable people on the internet. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's a very important ministry. It is, yeah. Well, at least you haven't changed uh, in your suffering. But thank you for being here. Making I look horrible, available. but I, I, f- I feel the same. <laughs> That's right. We fall back on the word. That's what we do. Also, our senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, Scott Richards. How hey, are you? I'm doing great. You're doing good? Yeah. How's, yeah. Is your mouse working? You dropped it on the way in. I noticed. I think that was your mouse. Or was yeah, it your well, the, the warranty's out on it, but I'm sure it'll survive. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's been through worse. I guess it's not a big expense. <laughs> but yeah, well, thank you as well for being here it's and being awesome. available. It's awesome to, to be here, Dave. Uh, yeah, we're going to have a great time, I am sure. Well, as I mentioned, Reason for Hope, it's a live broadcast. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. here in Tucson, Arizona, Mountain Standard Time. Or whatever time that is for you all around the world, through the wonders of the internet, you can join us wherever you are, and I'll, I'll allow you to figure out what time that is. I won't do the math myself, but uh, it's a ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson. So you can go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com, and follow that Watch Live tab there. Before you click on that, just uh, don't be a stranger. Have a little click around on our website. We have lots of upcoming events and, of course, services here. If you're in the Tucson area, we'd love to have you come visit. If you're looking for a place to worship the Lord and get in the Word, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. But Otherwise, click on that link there, watch live, that tab, that will take you out to our live page. When we're off air, you'll see a countdown to our next show. You'll see a schedule of upcoming events. But when we're on air, you'll see the video. You'll be able to sign in with the username of your choice. And that's one of the ways you'll be able to send in your questions through that chat box. And I will be, um, as I say, watching for your questions coming on in ccftucson.online.church. That's the direct link if you want to Type that in or share that, ccftucson.online.church. We're on Facebook, of course, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson or facebook.com slash ccftucson. Uh, don't forget to like or to share around to your friends. We'd love to have a, a further reach. So um, if you've been blessed by this ministry, please share us around. But that's another way you can send your question in in the chat function right there on Facebook. I'll be watching for those questions too. We have an app for your mobile device, whether it's an iPhone or Android. Go to your app store, look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. You're seeing a theme here. And you'll be able to download our app and watch us on your mobile device. We're on Roku and Apple TV as well. We have a channel there, so add us to your channel list, and you'll be able to watch us on your big screen if you have a smart TV or one of those devices as well. On YouTube, of course, we're there. The channel is called A Reason for Hope, so look for that, A Reason for Hope. That's a great place to go for archives as well if you missed a show or want to recap. Click on that live tab, and anytime we've been live, it will be archived there for you. So um, check it out. Like I say, if you missed the show or maybe there's a question that you wanted to revisit, that's a great resource for you. You'll find our services as well um, 
there here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. Wednesday evenings, we're going through the book of Ezekiel, and Sunday, going through the book of Acts at the moment. So you can find those videos there as well, our whole service. Our senior pastor here, Scott Richards, is on Twitter. Uh, just look for Scott R4H, that's his handle, and you can follow along with him. He posts highlights from the show and posts just commentary on things going on in the world, so much going on. Uh, he posts commentary, come from a biblical and end times prophetic perspective. So it's very interesting to follow along with him. Scott R4H on Twitter. Uh, a fairly uh, new or new to us uh, platform that we're using, Rumble. Look for a reason for hope, Bible Q&A on Rumble if you're on that platform. We post an uh, uh, archive of our shows there. And be prayerful. We're looking into whether we'll be able to live broadcast there as well. But that's uh, yet to come, so be prayerful. Again, a reason for hope, Bible Q&A on Rumble. And last but not least, our email address is questionsforhope at gmail.com. Questions for hope spelled out at gmail.com. If you are listening to us on the radio, you're listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded. So you're kind of a day late there, but use that email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com, and we will get to those questions on our next show. And consider joining us on one of the actual live platforms when you can and, and fancy doing it. And we will be there for you. <laughs> there you go. So yeah, once again, send in your questions on all those platforms, and uh, we will get to those on the show today. Well, before we go any further, Sean, would you like to pray for us today? Love to. That'd be great. Dad, thank you that we have the chance to be here. We want to ask that you would be here as well to not only speak, but to solidify your word and what's going to be shared here in our hearts and hopefully through our lives as well. As we have the chance to receive and relate your word, equip my father and I to be able to actively and eagerly convey your heart in a way where smiles ultimately brought to your face. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, Pastor Scott, did you have anything to share, or did you want to dive right into questions? Well, uh, a question that uh, came up uh, by way of our Twitter feed uh, before we went live here today uh, had to do with a controversial passage that's found in the book of Jude. Uh, in uh, Jude, uh, verse 8, oh, no. uh, we are told, Likewise, also these dreamers defile flesh, reject authority, speak evil of dignitaries, referring to false prophets uh, that Jude was dealing with. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the, the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, these things, they corrupt themselves. Um, the question that came up was, uh, okay, uh, this conversation between Michael and Satan over the body of Moses, mm -hmm. the question basically was this, what is the deal with that? Well, uh, there's two perspectives on it, people that either catch the reference or those who just take it at face value as Judas explaining it. Uh, this is a reference, much like Paul's references to the Greek poet Epimenides, I believe right, his name was, right. uh, where extra-biblical sources were being referenced, not because they were prophets of God or providing some insight into the spiritual realm, but because they were making a valid point, which people who don't know God are still capable of doing believe it or not. And in Jude, he was essentially making a point about how if, in this fictional case, here's one perspective, Michael 
didn't make an accusation against Satan, but deferred to the Lord, and using the same language, by the way, that the angel of the Lord himself deferred to the Father when rebuking Satan in Zechariah chapter 3, I believe, or is it 4? 4. 4. That we shouldn't seek to save the world every time someone speaks something false against the gospel, that God's... Zechariah 3. Zechariah 3. That uh, (laughs) we shouldn't try to answer every lie, that we should just continue to speak the truth. This is how you deal with false prophets. Jude's made, obviously, a lot of illustrations and a lot of uh, uh, word pictures of these false prophets. He calls them clouds without water, which is useless to a farmer. Uh, You know, the... Uh, winds or the waves of the sea that are ultimately just going to make a lot of noise and then disappear forever, Uh, utter blackness and all these other vain and empty things, ultimately amounting to nothing. So when, and this is my personal position and I'm in the company of those who would take others, um, look at this passage. It's a reference to the Jewish apocryphal book, The Assumption of Moses, where this scenario, written by someone who wasn't a prophet of God, who never claimed that this was divine scripture, was presenting this scenario where Michael, who is in Jewish apocryphal sources, and as well legitimate biblical sources, heavily invested in the welfare of the Jewish people, (laughs) was in a confrontation with Satan over the body of Moses and basically sent him away, a la the legitimate prophet, Zechariah style, and saying, let's just defer to the Lord on this. Now, I obviously take the point as the point stands, if this character did something right in deferring to the Lord, then when you're confronted with a false prophet, defer to the Lord. He could have easily quoted Zechariah 3, but the point still stands. Likewise, if you take the other position that, in spite of (laughs) sources and appearances, this was an actual event, that uh, Lucifer was intending to somehow exhume or do something with the body of Moses, and Michael confronted him about it by deferring back to the Lord, a la Zechariah 3 style, the takeaway is still the same, that if Michael, the archangel, did not take it on himself to rebuke someone who, for all intents and purposes, may be higher or at least equal to him as far as spiritual hierarchies are concerned. Uh, We're told in Ezekiel and Isaiah that uh, Lucifer was a cherub, an exalted creature in the heavenly order. Yeah, but we're also told in Daniel that there's going to come a time where, uh, and in Revelation chapter 12, where Michael is going to uh, basically be given permission to knock pick, him out of heaven. Yeah. Uh, Satan's uh, rear end. Yeah. yeah, and might help yeah. for the fact they had numbers on their side. But yeah. either way, yeah. um, the point still stands, and that's the takeaway from all of this, that there's a allegorical application in reference to false prophets. The, this, these characters... Deferred to, say, uh, deferred to the Lord when dealing with Satan. So when you're dealing with characters in your own life, defer to the Lord when it comes to their lies. You just continue to speak truth. If on the other hand, this was an actual spiritual event, the application's the same, that if Michael deferred to the Lord, you should too when yeah, dealing the, with Yeah, the classic messengers. line, if uh, the devil comes knocking on your door, send Jesus to answer it. Which yeah. is in both cases. Yeah. But the assumption of Moses is the source, which is not a biblical one, not tested as a uh, source given by a prophet or anything of the sort. But if some would take it as a valid spiritual insight, 
the takeaway is the same as if it wasn't, and it was just being referenced like Greek pagans who are making observations about, for example, in Acts 17, Zeus being the father of us all and we all being his children. The Lord would also apply in that sense, speaking to a Greek audience. So Jude also speaking to a Jewish audience who are familiar with these fictional stories, they would be able to catch the point. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, the takeaway for us is, like you say, uh, Satan's number one spiritual tactic, for lack of a better term, is distraction. And if he can get us focusing in on him rather than the Lord, then he's won. Uh, unfortunately, I've had the experience, and maybe you guys have too, of being in prayer meetings where someone will start uh, telling the devil what they think of him and spend more time talking to the devil than they do to God. Well, Satan is more than happy for us to uh, give us give him our two cents worth about him because he knows something as long as we aren't talking to god uh, we're cut off from the power source we were no threat to him whatsoever just venting our emotions at him but if through prayer uh through uh taking advantage of the promises of god uh through uh the uh, the power and presence of god through his spirit and focusing in on him uh, we approach these situations, we're going to have a consistent experience of great victory. I mean, the old saying is true. Uh, it's much easier to turn on the light than it is to try to push darkness out of a room. You can't really do it. But uh, if we turn on the light, that is, we focus in on the Lord, boy, that drives the wicked one absolutely crazy. Right. And it keeps us from some, I, I think, of some of the uh, more noxious and unhelpful variations in spiritual warfare that we see, like uh, thinking if you've got some kind of habitual sin in your life, it's because you've been demonized, that is, you've been lightly possessed. Well, lightly possessed, isn't that like being lightly pregnant? Either you are or you, or you aren't. Uh, you know, we have to go back to uh, what the clear teaching of Scripture is. You are of God, little children, you've overcome them, for greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I think it's really interesting in 1 John 4, where we see that statement, the context of that is not just dealing with the wicked one, but the context of 1 John 4 is dealing with false prophets who are the emissaries of the wicked one, who want to get our eyes off of the Lord and onto them, or off of God's truth and onto their variations and twistings and turnings of God's truth. So I think if we're going to be uh, more than conquerors in Christ and really victorious in spiritual warfare it's not going to be you know trying to uh, convince people that uh, you know growth in their walk with christ comes through exorcism mm. there's not a single passage you will ever find in jesus ministry in the example we see in the book of acts in the epistles of paul and peter and james and john and jude of anyone uh achieving spiritual growth through casting demons out of a believer Oh, wow. It just Might is not there. Might be a helpful there. start, but it's not growth. <laughs> well, no, you're, you're not a believer if you've got demons inside of you. Right, that's where you and, start. Yeah, <laughs> so you've got to come to Christ. You have to have a living relationship with him. And then through the power of the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of passages we run into about dying to self. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons that these doctrines get traction with people is that you can say, oh, well, it's not my responsibility. There was a comedian when I was growing up, Flip Wilson, who had a uh, character he used to do called Geraldine. And one of the buzzwords Geraldine would say, oh, the devil made me do it. Yeah. 
And I think that came out of Flip Wilson's church background when he was growing up. Mm. If I'm not responsible for my behavior, oh, well, the wicked one, you know, the demon of cussing or the, the demon of, of drinking or the demon of, uh, you know, I think Robert Furrow told me about a book that he read about it that listed all these different imps and demons that you can cast out of people. One was even the demon of disco fever. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that demon is doing a lot of business these days. <laughs> no. but, uh, but, you know, to, to go down this list of, of excuses, really, and blame the devil for a lack of a desire to yield our lives to Christ, yeah. to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to let the Word of God dwell in us richly, this is how we overcome this world. Mm. Uh, you know, going through incantations and praying uh, the right steps in the right order to have uh, freedom from darkness and bondages and uh, squatter demons uh, that have somehow gotten uh, a hold on our lives. You know, the, the scripture clearly says that uh, the one who's been born of God, uh, you know, the devil doesn't hold on to him. Uh, we, we, we're, we're, we are possessed, if you will, uh, made the possession of God at that point. Mm. And uh, Jesus doesn't set up sort of a roomy situation with Satan where he's got half of our heart and Satan's got the other half. Um, you know, our battle is, is really with ourselves. We've yeah. met the enemy and he is us. Yeah. And uh, victory is found not in trying to figure out what Satan is up to and uh, yelling our invective at him or praying different prayers to cast him out of believers. Uh, victory is only found in putting our trust and faith in Jesus and letting him do the work. Right. So, But we love to blame someone, don't we? I mean, it's more comfortable to say, oh, yeah, Satan made me do it or you well, provoked we, me or yeah. we don't like to blame one person. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ourselves. Yes. yes. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not my fault. That's right. I'm a victim. Yeah. 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 It's society's fault. Yeah. Video games made me do it. Yeah. You can always find, always find yeah. someone to blame. Yeah. yeah. So uh, really interesting passage. Yeah, for sure. And I appreciate, Sean, you bringing up, uh, you know, the roots of uh, where that comes from. And uh, did that actually happen? Did uh, Michael and Satan argue over most? Some people believe that the argument uh, was uh, over uh, Satan wanting people to find out where Moses was buried and make a big deal about uh, visiting the shrine of Moses instead Mm -hmm. of uh, following uh, the Lord. And, you know, that seems to make a lot of sense. We like our heroes with skin on yeah. uh we don't really want to trust god whom we can't see right you know we can go to a shrine and bow down before it and so on and they see, even made an idol of the brass serpent that he crafted yeah so. could you imagine what they would do if they had uh, moses burial place but the other stat is and this is the position i take personally i think it's just a fictional application to a literal point of which he makes many an application of nature an application to the cosmos on reference to false prophets yep. let god deal with them they're going to amount to nothing yep mm. yeah very good well thanks for that guys um we have we've got questions coming in once again awesome. whatever platform you are joining us send your question in i'm monitoring all of those uh, a question here from mark d uh, why did Jesus tell Mary not to cling to him? That's a great question. Aren't we supposed to cling to Jesus? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, but not have I been doing that, it wrong all this time? Not in the sense that Mary was doing it. Yeah, at that what's all that about? Time. Yeah. Uh, 
Just remember the context and read through the next verses, and Jesus gives an explanation as to why she wasn't to do that. In uh, John chapter 20, let me just read the section. In verse 16, she offers, she didn't recognize him as the Lord yet. She wasn't looking for him, first of all. Last time she had seen him, it wasn't uh, pretty. But he said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him, Rabone, which is to say teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, Here's the explanation. For I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. If you'd like a follow-up as to the significance of why Jesus refers to the Father as his God, as well as his Father, uh, we'll be happy to address that as well. But your question's about verse 16. When she, or 17, excuse me, uh, when he says, don't cling to me, he explains that it's because he hasn't yet ascended. Now, that can mean one of two things. Either when he has ascended, then you can cling to me, or when I've ascended, you'll never be able to cling to me in this way, this side of eternity. Right. So given extra-biblical data and why Jesus tells her to follow through on this, to go and tell my brethren, that is the apostles, that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. He's calling back to the conversation he had with them about three and a half days prior, where they were eating the Passover Seder meal, and he told them, sorrow has filled your hearts because I'm going away. Right. But you should rejoice because the Father who I'm going to is above all. You want me to go back to, or to remain separated from my Father or return to the glory I had with him before the world was. He explained that in John 17 in the same section. Now, obviously, if we say that, oh, well, Mary will be able to cling to him later in some word faith teachers and other borderline, I won't say absolutely, but very iffy teaching groups would say, oh, well, you know, Second Corinthians 5.21 says, he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness right. of God. Right. Well, Jesus was like the still the embodiment of sin yet, so if Mary clinged to, her, uh, to him, it would get her sin cooties on him or something. I don't know. But if we... <laughs> I've actually heard that's that... Not sin cooties, but I've heard that teaching. <laughs> yeah, uh, we would disagree. When Jesus is making the point, it's not so that you can cling to me later, it's you won't be able to cling to me when I ascend to my Father. Don't get used to me physically being here. Remember my promises and see them fulfilled. Right. So if it's describing a physical relationship, he's saying to her, this is our take, that that's about to be severed. Right. But my spiritual relationship with you, I'm going to send the spirit of truth, the thing I told the apostles all those days ago. That's why Jesus says, don't cling to me, because she was so used to having him physically around, and Jesus wanted to encourage her, get used to a relationship where I'm not there with you physically, but I am there with you in more than one way. Yeah. That you aren't depending on the fact that, you know, you can currently cut off my windpipe, but you can, in fact, know that I'm here, that I'm listening to you, that I'm taking care of you. Yeah, and uh, the language there indicates that uh, Mary literally had him in a death grip. That's the windpipe. You know, in, 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 yeah, I mean, just cutting off the circulation if she was holding by the feet, who knows? But uh, yeah. uh, the, the idea was, you know, I, I thought I'd lost you, mm. and now you're back. Right. And I'm never, ever going to let you go. Yeah. Which yeah. would be a very human You can understand that, yeah. Reaction. <laughs> But what Jesus is saying is, okay, I get that, yep. but there's a bigger move of God that's that's in play here. Yeah, very yeah. good. Well, great question, Mark. Thank you for that. Hope that helps you out. Uh, question from Yari here. How you doing, Yari? One of our regulars. 
Uh, when Jesus healed the one blind man in Mark 8, 25, why did he say it was like uh, two trees walking? How come, in this case, he healed as a result of the man's obedience, go wash in the water, instead of healing instantly like in other cases? When people were sick, Jesus would speak a word, and instantly they would be well. You know who wrote a great book on this was Gail Irwin, yes. Jesus style. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, in a in a word, it was because Jesus doesn't uh, do things systematically. There isn't a way to heal somebody of blindness. There isn't a way to heal someone of leprosy. Jesus would do what was appropriate for the individual, not because he wanted to be set into a program. Yeah, and you know the other thing that you have to take into account, Mark, in this particular passage, is the flow of what's going on here. You know, Jesus was a master, uh, not only at uh, parables, that is word pictures, but in acting out uh, God's truth. And an awful lot of the miracles that Jesus did, uh, when you take a look at what has immediately gone on and what's happening with the disciples and what's going on in his ministry at a particular time, it really takes on a, a powerful sense of vividness. Uh, when we uh, go into this particular section of the book of Mark, uh, we are told that the uh, Pharisees came to him seeking a sign. He sighed deeply in his spirit, saying, why does this generation seek a sign? And I surely say no sign will be given to this generation. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, Jesus elaborates on it, saying they're just going to get the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the, the belly of the earth. Mm-hmm. And it says, and he left them, and getting in the boat again, they departed the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. And they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, this is what I love here, saying, It's because we have no bread. Now, (laughs) Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, now notice this, do you see and having ears do you not hear and do you not remember when i broke the five loaves for the five thousand how many baskets full of fragments did you take up he said 12 and when i broke up the seven for the four thousand how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up they said seven and he says how is it that you do not understand now right with that ringing in their ears we have this encounter he comes to bethsaida they brought a blind man to him begged him to touch him So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. When he had spit on his eyes and put hands on him, he asked if he saw anything. And he looked up and he says, I see men like trees walking. In other words, it's like me when I get up in the morning uh, before I put in my contact lenses. Uh, You know, things are pretty fuzzy. And uh, then he put his hands on him again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everything clearly. Then he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into this town nor tell anyone else in this town. And then uh, they go into the whole deal about uh, Peter confessing that Jesus is the Christ. But remember, right after that, Peter got into the whole deal about telling Jesus his business, saying, uh, when he said to him, look, I'm going to be crucified, he goes, far be it from you, Lord. It's never going to happen to you. So here you see uh, this, this illustration in this blind man, Jesus touching him, So he does receive some sight. He's not particularly, not completely blind, but it's out of focus. And by Jesus continuing to minister to him, 
He then, notice he looks up, and then he receives clarity. Well, this is a, a really vivid picture that Jesus is presenting to his disciples. Look, if you look up, you don't look at yourself, you don't look at, at, at what the things you can see around you, then you're going to get this clarity. And Jesus was going to continue to work with them until they were able to spiritually see clearly. So it wasn't like, oh, well, Jesus, some people say, well, I guess Jesus didn't get it right the first time, or some of the faith movement would say, well, this guy only had partial faith, and he needed greater faith, and only when he got the greater faith could he receive that. No, it, it was Jesus using this blind man in front of his disciples and saying, see this guy? You're just like him. You know, right now you're seeing things fog, foggy. You're, you're saying, no. Um, uh, I said, beware the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees talking about their teaching. Oh, it's because we forgot the bread. Mm. <laughs> no, no, let me clarify for you. Let me bring clarity to your sight. Mm. You know, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, Peter, but my father is in heaven. Great. Okay. You're, you're seeing some things clearly, but not clearly enough, because when Jesus ups the ante and says, yeah, I'm the Christ, and this is what the scriptures say is going to happen to me. Uh, Peter steps in, and from a very human point of view, says that's never going to happen to you. Far be it from you. Mm -hmm. And Jesus has to drop the get thee behind me Satan bomb on him, saying you're a dangerous trap to me. You're setting your eyes on the things of man, not on the things of God. So here you see this, this picture in this blind man of the spiritual condition the disciples are in. And if we're really honest with ourselves, the spiritual condition we're all in. Uh, you know, one of the most convicting paths, people that say, what's your life verse? You ever had someone ask you that? Yeah. You know, what, what's your life verse? Yeah. And, you know, we always want to come up with something that's very inspiring or, you know, I get the feeling that my life verse, when it's all said and done, is when Jesus said to his disciples, I have so much more to say to you, mm. but you can't bear it now. Right. But when the spirit of truth has come, he'll lead you into all truth. Mm. Uh, one of the things I do like to keep around is I have a file of uh, some of the old sermon notes, mm. especially from my days in seminary and such. And if I need to realize how much I still need to have the Lord open my eyes, I look back on some of the things I taught back then, mm. and boy, oh boy, I'm like, oh, man, uh, things have really changed, God. You've really led me into all truth. Uh, <laughs> God's you know, truth I, has really I changed. Thought I, <laughs> I thought I was seen very clearly back then, yeah. but I see that I had an awful lot more to learn. And mm. You know, I think it's the uh, old saw about the truly educated person isn't someone who knows it all, but has a healthy uh, understanding of how much you still need to know. Right. And and that should always be our attitude in our walk with Christ. Right. So. Absolutely. Very good. Well, Yari, thank you. Hope that helps you out. Um, I have a question from me. A friend of mine uh, asked me something, and I promised them that I would bring it to the show. So I'm going to be selfish and do that. Um, their dad recently had an experience where he was given the wrong medication in hospital, the wrong dose of things, and it impacted him very profoundly medically and has been in and out of hospital. But my friend asked, you know, they said that their dad is considering suing the hospital, and they said, aren't we told in the Bible that we shouldn't take each other to court? Um, and so I said I'd bring that up, put that issue up at the show. Yeah, we brethren. take each other to court? or The brethren, that's important. Yeah, yeah. you know, the, a, a couple of things uh, about this. First of all, the Bible never speaks against the idea of having a judicial system mm. or speaks about the idea of having uh, even financial compensation if 
someone has wronged somebody and they're going to be in a particular condition for the rest of their life that is going to require uh, financial support to be able to to deal with. Mm. Now, uh, when the subject of don't sue comes up, uh, it's a reference to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where it says, dare any of you having a matter against another go to the law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge even the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels how much more the things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning the things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. If so, is there not one wise man among you, not even one, will be able to judge between brethren? But brother mm -hmm. goes to the law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Now, therefore, is it already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another? Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourself be cheated? No, yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do not you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He goes on from there. Uh, you know, the, the, the bottom line is the, the people in Corinth were getting sideways with each other and suing each other mm. in courts. Um, that happens a lot. Uh, my dad, who was an attorney, uh, used to say if it weren't for, uh, in his case, Mormons suing each other, his law firm would go out of business. Oh, wow. You know, and, and you, know, you can understand how these things happen. It happens in Christian churches. Uh, there's a, a term for it. It's called affinity fraud. And what people will do is they will say, oh, you know, I got this deal. And, and you know, we're brothers, so we don't need to have anything in writing. We can just do it on a handshake. Hey, let me tell you something. If anyone ever says that to you, uh, that, that they won't put it in writing, run, don't walk out of there because what you're dealing with is someone who is trying to scam you spiritually. They, they have a very uh, carnal, very fallen agenda and they don't mind using the God talk to get you to get in on it. So, you know, believe me, it, it happens. But if it happens in the church, between people who are professing Christians, right? That's, that's a big point as well. Yeah. You know, are they in fact professing Christians that are involved here or are you being scammed by some false prophet? That's another issue, yeah. right? But if it's two Christians who get sideways with each other, say one Christian's dog bites the other person and you know, they, they uh, can't figure out, uh, you know, dog bite, bite uh, back. Bite back. Uh, you know, uh, they, 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 they can't uh, figure out how to settle this thing equitably. They say, well, just forget it, we're going to the, the courts. Well, this non-Christian judge has probably heard all these things about Christians and how they follow this Jesus who tells them to love one another mm -hmm sees these two people, you know, barking at each other because one person's dog bit the other one, you know, and we're going, well, you aren't any different than I am. Mm, so right. you might win the court case, but you've lost the war in terms of being a witness right. in that culture. However, having said that, Romans chapter 13 tells us that there is no government that is not established by God. God has put the governing authorities there as a minister to you to reward those who do what is good and punish those who do evil. So if someone does wrong to you, say in this situation, you know, through incompetence or medical malpractice or things along this line, and uh, this person is going to be in a condition for the rest of their life that is going to affect, say, their ability to be a breadwinner 
or is going to affect the family's resources, having to uh, you know, do all the extra things that are gonna be necessary to care for this person. Yeah. It's not only uh, okay or permissible, it's actually advocated in the scripture because in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and verse 8, we are told that the one who doesn't take care of his own family has, has denied the faith and is worse than a non-believer. Mm. And so if there are these avenues that are available through which an equitable uh, settlement can happen in a situation like that, uh, then there's nothing wrong with taking advantage uh, of all of that. That's Mm -hmm. why there are such things as Christian attorneys, believe it or not. Uh, But if it is between believers, uh, you know, the interesting thing that Paul brings up here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is that he seems to be advocating for what we would call uh, binding arbitration. In other words, take this before the leadership of the church with both people agreeing beforehand that they are going to agree with whatever conclusion the leadership in the church comes to. Mm-hmm. Well, why should we trust people in the church about all of this? Because among other things, um, we're going to be put in charge of judging angels someday. Wow. Uh, that is, we're going to be administrating and being a part of the, the kingdom of God. So if we're going to be doing these greater things, how much more should we be capable of applying the principles of God's word and his wisdom, even to the set twos and the dust ups that come along this line? One other thing I would just add to all of this is, boy, I just really empathize with this story because uh, my grandfather uh, had a stroke and uh, turned out that the, uh, the nurse gave him the medication that was supposed to be given to the guy in the next room and it caused his heart to seize and he oh, passed away. Wow. And that was just devastating, yeah. you know, as you can imagine, for yeah. our family. And not the only time that misapplication of medical so, tools. You know, there, there's nothing wrong with seeking redress in a situation along that line. Yeah. And I'll say, well, but what if the person's already gone, like your grandfather? Isn't that just taking vengeance? Well, no. It's making sure that this that changes are made so that this doesn't happen again. Right. And unless there are consequences, oftentimes bureaucracies are loath to change and they go, Oh well, too bad. Next. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, there's gotta be a consequence there. And by doing that, who knows, the next person who comes in, the next granddad that comes in, um, that particular wing is gonna be on their toes make sure that person gets the right medication because of what happened right. and, and you know how the family responded. So yeah. uh, that, that's why courts are there. It's not unchristian to go to courts. It's only unchristian when we as believers you know, can't see eye to eye or allow uh, those who have wisdom in the church to be able to arbitrate and settle these things. Why? Because we don't want to be a bad witness in the world. Yeah, right. So. And check in your heart as well, surely, right? To, yeah. to see is, is this just revenge or something you're doing out of your grief and bitterness? But, yeah. Or is there, is there a, a reason, as you explain, you know, to prevent this from happening again or something like that? But, yeah. I mean, with all things, we check our heart. And but that's a really good, really good point to, to search your heart on yeah. all of that and make sure that it's not just, you know, seeking vengeance. There's, um, you know, you guys were talking about a tale of two cities. Uh, and one of the themes in all of that is is that the pathway to peace is never uh, marked with vengeance. Right. You'll never find peace by getting even with people. Right. Uh, that's not why we should do something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, thanks yeah. for that. Thanks for that. Uh, going through that. 
I will pass that along for sure. A uh, question from John here, uh, James uh, 417, he's referring to. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him is uh, it is sin. So does this imply that there are believers who do not know to do good and therefore it is not counted as sin? So if we don't know better, is it still sin? Yes, but the <laughs> problem is it's obviously James's point wasn't trying to make an inverse. It was pointing out the fact that if you know to do good, do it, mm. because not to do that is against the character of God, which is the definition of sin. So if we ask, oh, well, if someone didn't know better, does that mean that God's nature suddenly changes for them, that God is somehow less perfect because of my ignorance? Absolutely not. Yeah. But the best passage to make your point, John, in regards to how the inverse is true, isn't the nature of sin, but the nature of accountability. And a good passage for that is in Luke 12, 47, where Jesus, telling a parable, of course, but making a punchline where we can take the point, says there will be those who have committed things deserving of stripes, but they'll be beaten with few. To him who much is given, much of him will be required, right. and to much him who is committed, they will ask of him the more. So if someone stands before God and in the kind of sincerity that only the presence of a holy being can bring out in someone, say, I genuinely did not know that this was wrong. He's going to hold them accountable to what they did know, the revelation they were given. In Acts 17, we're told that every man was given a light <laughs> to which they were given. They were put right. in their places so that they might seek for him and grope for him, though he's not far from each one of us. So when it comes to, and I'm not making an argument on morality and geographic limits, but I'm making a point that God's given each one a measure of faith. That's also in 1 Corinthians. But if we ask the question, okay, what is sin to me? And what is sin, period? What sin to me is what I know of the nature of God. Do you have a complete understanding of that? No. I don't either. Yeah. But if on the other hand, does God know the complete nature of that? Yes, and yes. that's not limited by our ignorance. As the a wise judge once observed, ignorance of the law is no excuse. Right. But a just and merciful judge isn't just going to hold you to the law, but take all things into consideration as far as, and this is the point, accountability. So don't argue, well, if you don't, if you do know, and you don't do it, it's sin. So if you didn't do it because you didn't know, then that's not sin. No. But if, on the other hand, we take a step back and go, Luke 12. Hurts. Yeah. Wait. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> if we take a step back and go in Luke 12, it's not an issue of the definition of sin. It's the level of accountability. God's not diminishing his nature. He's applying mercy, which we all are thankful for. Yeah. And I, I think another principle that, that comes into play here, John, is this. You know, even to this day, how often can we sin within a day and be completely oblivious to it? Right. Um, you know, sometimes there's the old expression, hidden sin is open scandal in heaven. Mm. Uh, but we don't see it that way. We're just like, oh, do, 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 you know, we're just not <laughs> perceptive of it. You know, it's interesting the scripture deals with that. Mm. Uh, in Psalm 19, uh, King David said this, who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Keep your servant back as well from presumptuous sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, acquitted of great transgression. Mm. You know, I love that because that covers it. And, um, you know, there's times where my prayer life, you know, I'll, I'll say, search me, O Lord, know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. And I've found that right up there with praying for patience, that's a really uh, effective prayer because mm -hmm. God always seems to answer it. 
you know, he's going to show me those areas where I've gotten off the path, where I've gotten off the beam, yeah. you know, even if I'm not aware of it. Uh, sometimes um, he'll show me where I've gotten off the path and I'm aware of it and I did it anyway. Hmm. That's what a presumptuous sin right. is. It's the difference between sins and trespasses. Sin just means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. Yeah. But uh, trespasses, parapetoma, literally means to step over the boundary line. You know, it means seeing a keep out sign and you go ahead and you do it. And let's face it, we got both going on in our lives. Yeah. You know, so sometimes we're not aware that we've sinned, but God is. Uh, and he can make us aware of those areas of sin where we're missing the mark, yeah. if you will. Like you said, I mean, you said you looked at some of your old teaching notes. Yeah. And there were things that were sin. I mean, and <laughs> that wasn't how you saw it at the time. Yeah. You were trying to teach and to the best of your ability. But right. looking back, it's like, well, that was Missing wrong. the mark. Yeah. You missed the mark. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. missed the mark. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and I do think, you know, as far as how God deals with this, you know, it's not like, ooh, you know, well, you know, you, you didn't confess a sin or you weren't aware of it, you know. I mean, right. is God not uh, somehow not just because of all of this? Now, I think there's another principle that comes into play, and it's what Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5 uh, talks about. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor let your heart detest his correction. Mm. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, even as a father of the son in whom his heart delights. Yeah. Uh, God deals with us as his children. And, uh, you know, not just in a judicial manner, uh, but also in, in the, the, the sense of being a perfect father. God will deal with us. And, uh, you know, when you're a child, you'll do all kinds of things and you're completely oblivious to the fact that what you're doing, you know, has hurt other people or is not something that you should keep doing because it's going to end up creating problems for you later on. Yeah. It's only when a parent steps in and reveals that that we begin to understand it. And so in the same way, God will reveal to us certain things as we go through life that maybe we were completely unaware of. Sometimes uh, the Lord will, you know, if we start asking God to search our heart, uh, the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment, yeah. even as believers in Christ. But he always does it not to shame us, but to change us, yeah. not to defeat us, but to complete us, you know? And so, you know, there's some people who say, oh, you know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins yeah. and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, does that mean that any unconfessed sin is still going to keep us out of heaven? No, that's not what the point of that was. We need to see our sin the way God sees it. Yeah. And he sees it as serious. He sees it as something to be dealt with. But he also knew what he was getting into when he saved us. Yeah. You know, he's going to work with us like a loving father does his children. And he's also going to deal with it like a perfect judge deals with those who come under his authority. Right. It's both and, not an either or. Yeah, yeah. very good. Well, great question, John. Hope that helps you out. It's a great question indeed. Uh, this question here from S.A. Eggleton. Boy, it sounds like a very British name, English name to me. Um, and you should know. And I should know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how would you combat, we kind of talked about this actually earlier yeah. in the show. How would you combat someone who uses Ephesians 6.12 to excuse someone's sinful behavior? and views everything as a spiritual attack. Uh, that scripture says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly in the heavenly realms. So yeah, we kind of addressed that with our first question, right? But probably worth getting into again. 
Yeah, there's obviously two angles you can go towards it. You can encourage them to read the whole chapter. You can encourage them to read other chapters. But if the encouragement isn't heated, they've already made up their mind, it's not uh, a battle anyone's going to win. So if we're combating people that are promoting these things like deliverance ministries and so forth, uh, again, I can get in debates with the best of them and ultimately just end up with a scorched earth on both sides because someone either feels insulted or uh, like their salvation's being questioned. When it comes to people who get really into just outright bizarre areas or approaches in their relationship with God, again, there are two ways to do it. You can either give God room to lead them into all truth or just pray that God will present you with the opportunity of being a uh, turn in the road, so to speak, or a sign that the bridge is out up ahead, or at least that the angle is off in their attempts to know what God is actually telling you. Obviously, the internet doesn't do us any favors. You have to know how to sort through information before you even necessarily learn how to read it. But when it comes to this kind of approach, like was stated before, there's no positive passage in Scripture, and nothing that would require a lot of spiritual hoop-jumping, I guess is the term, Right. in order to come to the conclusion that spiritual growth and demonic confrontations go hand in hand. Obviously, we would both agree that there is one of the three kinds of enemies we face is external. First John chapter 2 notes the sin or that uh, uh, the things of the world, the devil, the flesh, and the world system itself. Yeah. Now notice one of those things is a conscious entity, that is the devil, an external foe. One of those things is an internal entity, the uh, tension, nature, yeah. yeah, the tension of living in two ages at once, and then there's just the world system, which is a social entity, a pressure in this world to just kind of go along to get along. So if we say, well, there's a demon of peer pressure, that's deliberately misrepresenting First John 2's point. If we, on the other hand, both agree that the enemy can be an adversary, the question is, how do we determine that? And the best way I've gotten out of dumb conversations, let alone hostile ones, is to just emphasize, as uh, Chuck uh, taught his uh, protégés before us, focus on the one thing that you can agree on and hammer that home. If they do acknowledge that, whether it's the devil, whether it's the world, or whether it's the flesh, you combat all, a la 1 Peter chapter 5, I think, of drawing near to God and him drawing near to you, then great, just stop talking about the adversary, that's what demon means, and start focusing on the advocate, that is Jesus. Right, right, I would, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great, thank you so much. A uh, question from Yari here, let's see, yeah, we've got some little bit of time left here. Why doesn't it say husbands submit to your wives and wives love your husbands? And if a woman doesn't provide for her family, she is worse than an infidel as well as man. So I have that a distinction there. I have a follow-up question. Why doesn't the scripture say fathers submit to your sons in the fear of the Lord? <laughs> I have another question. Yeah, why doesn't it say? Yeah. <laughs> why doesn't it say? Uh, you know. Well, yeah, and, and I mean, we could obviously approach this um, from the idea that if cows could fly, we'd all need steel umbrellas. Hmm. Uh, but I think the, the question is, why has God set up men and women and parents and children in the, the relationships that he has designed for them? 
key thing. God has designed relationships. Mm. And God has designed, and, uh, and I know this is a hugely controversial statement in our day and age, yes. God has designed certain genders to have certain roles that reflect his glory. We've talked uh, about this issue uh, quite a bit this week, uh, the, the whole notion that uh, when a man loves his wife, he's to do it like Christ loves the church. When I do a wedding, one of the things that I do in the vows is to say to the groom, do you uh, promise to love your wife in such a way as the Holy Spirit gives you power to do so, in such a way that if the world wants to find out how much Jesus lovingly cares for his people, they'd be able to find out by observing the way you care for your wife. Uh, that's the role of the husband with the wife. Now, when we start monkeying around with the definition of marriage, uh, we lose that. Yeah. Uh, we, we lose the ability to reflect the glory of God there. When it says, wives, submit to your husbands uh, as, you know, as, and uh, to do so uh, as, the church do, as the church is submissive to Christ in all things, uh, one of the things I will say in the, the wedding vows to the woman is this, you know, though equal in all ways, uh, God has designed you to be in this supportive role. And if the world wants to find out how the church, God's people, lovingly trusts and submits to Jesus' spiritual leadership. They should be able to find out by observing the way you lovingly submit to your husband's spiritual leadership within the home. Mm. I know, stole that you, from you. When I do yeah, weddings, I yeah, say that too, and I, yeah. I, I, I forgot that I stole that from you. <laughs> well, <laughs> so thanks. Well, I stole it from the Word. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess they say the only difference between plagiarism and good scholarship is a footnote. So. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, it's it's... When we fail to understand that this is why God set up genders, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, of all the different ways that God could have propagated the species, you know, why wasn't reproduction done just by sticking a Q-tip in an ear and going on from there? Um, why did God create things this way? Well, he created these things in such a way that we would get an up uh, close and personal front row center seat into the very nature of the relationship, not mm -hmm. just between God and his people, but even, you know, his people as we relate to God in a healthy way. Yeah. It takes it beyond just the human and what feels natural to me, what my inclinations are. And we realize there's something bigger at, at hand here, the glory of God, the revelation of who he is. And, yeah. you know, and I know some people say, oh, you know, the glory of God, that's such a, a pompous uh, statement. Well, when Moses uh, asked God this prayer request, show me your glory. Um, I don't think that was a pompous request, uh, but God responded in a really interesting way. He says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Hmm. That's what the glory of God is. And uh, God wants to reveal to us his goodness within our lives. And he does so through his word, but he also does it through his word worked out uh, within the lives of people so that people can see that uh, maybe you've heard the old expression that you you know me are we're called to be living bibles and sometimes we're the only translation of the bible that people will ever read are we an accurate translation because god writes his truth upon our hearts and so when we start monkeying around with even the definition of what it means to be a man or a woman yeah. you know people say well where has all this come from why does it just come out of nowhere uh, on our twitter feed i said it hasn't come out of nowhere 
This has been coming at us for a long time. It started when uh, there was a conscious effort to indoctrinate people with the idea that there is no such thing as absolute truth, that truth is in the eye of the beholder. And uh, this has been sown into the hearts of generations. It's been believed on. And unfortunately, when you sow the wind in this area, you're gonna weep the whirlwind. Uh, One of the things I said on our Twitter feed was uh, in the book of Judges, there was a refrain that was repeated. There was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Um, That was one of the low points of Jewish history. And because we believe the same thing, I believe we're going to be heading for one of the low points of our history. And we're seeing it played out in the news every day. Right. Yeah, and it's a common internet joke for people to say, you know, what if your wife made four figures or uh, six figures or whatever the salary, and then the next scene shows the guy putting on a maid outfit and, you know, dusting the cabinet and stuff. We don't determine roles in a home or our identity on the basis of who's a provider. We base them or off competence, of, or, yeah, or yeah. any of that. When it comes to this, what we're essentially seeing and monkeying with the language and saying, well, there's an exception, therefore there is no rule. We've talked about that already as ridiculous. If on the other hand, we'd say, so based on a man's role, not his responsibilities, but his position inherently right. in the home, it's to model, as uh, Talon also mentioned in the comment section, an aspect of God's character and others as well. But if we try to usurp that authority, we're modeling our relationship off of the results of the fall in Genesis 3, not our creation in Genesis right. 2. Right. Very good. Well, we're out of time for today. Scott, thank you. Sean, thank you. Rock and roll. Great questions. Time sure rips by on this program. It sure does. Great questions for today. Once again, our email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope spelled out gmail.com. Send your questions there. If we didn't get to them today, I think we got to most of them. Uh, But we'll get to them tomorrow. We're back here, same time and same place. Thanks for being part of A Reason for Hope. We will see you tomorrow. God bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.